Welcome to the podcast series, Redefined in Christ. Each episode explores what it means to live a life of freedom through what Christ accomplished on the cross. So let's listen in on what our host, Tim Atterbury, is teaching on today. Colossians 1.27 God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Welcome to our recap podcast on having a redefined identity. My purpose for this podcast was to explore with the listener what it means to be in Christ. You know, before I began these podcasts, I was studying about what took place on the cross. This study began during my stay in Honduras the first part of this year. While there, I shared a message with a church in Chaguatillos. It was concerning reconciliation. As I studied it, I remembered repeating to them how important it was to realize how that on the cross, Jesus reconciled all of the world to God, not holding their trespasses against them. And that now is our message. Then I realized how little we really shared this profound message of the gospel with others. I'm not saying that we don't talk about the crucifixion or the resurrection of Christ, but I do believe we often have a shallow message of the cross of Christ. Therefore, we limit the power of life in us that was given to us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What do I mean by shallow message? I believe that my thoughts stem from the common message of the events that day. We talk about how Jesus bled and died, how horrible it was physically. We evoke emotion when we preach about the events of that day. But how often do we explore the grace poured out that day? How often do we talk about the miracle of reconciliation that happened on that day? How much do we discuss the profound effect that the death and resurrection of Jesus not only had on those who had accepted salvation, but the effect it had on the entire world. The truth is that everyone, every single one of us, was affected. Paul says concerning this resurrection that Jesus reconciled all of the world to God. This is a thought that drove me to studying the gospel almost every single day since I preached that message in Honduras back in May. I've always, since very young, studied the Bible and feel like I have a pretty good grasp on things. But something that day shook me to the core of my understanding. But I had asked for it. Since the beginning of the year, I had asked God to help me understand the gospel in a way that it would be my focus, my message, my gospel to the world. Now as I look back, I see how he was always leading me to a stronger revelation. Uh, About 20 years ago, I began to study the power of forgiveness, then more about the limitless love of God. Over the last few years, I've been studying a lot about what Christ has done in our lives that makes us the light of the world. Now, it only makes sense to be more highly tuned in to the event that brought all this about, the day God revealed forgiveness as the most powerful form of love through the death and resurrection of Christ, and then poured this message into our lives, bringing us to life in Him. So as I continue the study with a focus on the one thing that Paul said needed to be our focus, I begin to realize that maybe even I was limiting the revelation of Christ in my own life.
Throughout these studies, I have found myself feeling more connected to Christ in me. I've heard it said that revelation comes as we are ready to receive it. My studies turned toward John 3.16, about the time I began to work in Honduras. I've never really considered myself an evangelist. I've always been more of a mentor to Christians. Although I've seen several saved in the ministries I do, I've always enjoyed teaching to those willing to learn, those new ones in Christ, those developing Christians, and even teaching Sunday school for years. I enjoy just teaching Christians more about the revelation of Christ in us. But today, my message to all those around me is more focused on what God did for us through Jesus Christ on the cross than it's ever been. I have a growing desire to share the life that the life-changing thing that took place. And it happened through the crucified Christ. I want to share this with those who haven't heard and bring greater understanding to those who have. This in some ways connects the mentoring of born-again believers to the evangelism of the lost. And maybe that was the way it was meant to be, that we would always be focused on that event that changed everything. As I look at the last days of Paul's life, I notice his message seems to be more and more focused on that day at Calvary. In Philippians 3.10, he says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And down a few verses, I have to share one of my favorites, he says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. That's verse 12. And in verse 14 he says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He was seeing more and more clearly that his goal was what is promised in Christ. Paul knew that he died in Christ and would be resurrected physically. He knew he was already resurrected spiritually. He tells us this in other letters. So his goal was to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and join him in the sufferings that would conform to the death of Christ. Here we see how Paul may have been thinking of physical suffering shared in the deliverance of the gospel, but I believe he emphasized suffering in a way that he is more so pointing to the submission of the flesh so that he would constantly be in the light of Christ and not in the darkness of unbelief. I can tell you today that even though I have always felt that Jesus died for my sins and lives in me, I have a much better understanding than I have ever had as to what it means to say that he freed me from sin, as it says in Romans 6.18. Some Christians find it hard to say. For some reason, it has become uncomfortable to say, I am free from sin. <laughs> and in a strange way, they tell sinners that Jesus will free them from their sin. <laughs> or has freed them from their sins on the cross. But then they have a hard time telling them that they can continue to live in that freedom. Living free from sin. I tell friends when I'm talking about this that we've always told the sinner that Jesus took their sin on himself on the cross and will set them free from their sin. However, it doesn't take long until many feel that they can easily sin and have to continually have God be a daily savior because it's often taught that we sin every day. However, Paul teaches to die daily to sin. 
This means be dead in Christ, baptized in his death, and live free of sin. Look down a few verses and the meaning will become clear. Because he says to those he is writing to, in 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul says he dies every day. But in verse 34 he says, come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. What does he mean when he tells the saints to stop sinning? The word in this, in the Greek in this section means to miss the mark or to be in error. So he is telling them that they are missing the mark or goal they strive for to be practicing the things the Spirit is leading them to, not thinking in ways that lead them astray. He is not referring to a transgression or disobedience of a law. He is referring to their lack of discipline in the love of God. The question of sin is raised here. What is sin? If you want to find a simple definition, consider sin as a barrier between you and God or living in unbelief of what Christ did for the world on the cross. These thoughts will bring sin into perspective. I don't want to really debate with Christians as to whether or not they are sinning, but I want to lean on what the scriptures teach and what it means to be free from sin. No matter my experience, the truth is broader. No matter my opinion, the word of God is where we must go to learn and to hear his spirit in us guiding us through this process. So to begin this exploration today, I want to turn to a passage of scripture to the Colossians. In chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 11. Listen to these words. I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of this world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by Him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are also circumcised in Him with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to His and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by Him. Let me now drop down a few verses where he says, If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? For our purposes, I'll stop there. Wow. What a segment of scripture. I believe to really grasp what Paul is saying, one would have to understand his philosophy of the crucified and risen Christ. In one place he even says, Quote, for if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. That's 2 Corinthians 5.13. I like the Spanish translation. It says, if you translate it directly, it says, if we are crazy, it is for God. Why would Paul say this? You have to understand, he was teaching something radically different than anyone else. Of course, the disciples had been teaching on the death and resurrection of Christ as well. John's teachings, to me, are some of the most powerful concerning the life-changing encounter of the crucified Christ. 
The teachings of the early church were radically different in that, well, let's just say three ways for our discussion. The first is that they were claiming that all would be resurrected from the dead, not as a spirit, but in a glorified body. I don't know if you realize it, but the resurrection of the dead is hardly even mentioned in the Old Testament writers. In most early religions, including Judaism, it was not believed that the normal human being would be resurrected in a new body, a glorified body, or even a transformed body. They believed that we die and it's the end of life here and some believe life was recycled or reincarnated. Those who believed in eternal living looked at it as a soul, solely a spiritual living on, kind of absorbed into a spiritual place. Truthfully, many Christians see themselves as eternal spirits, not really thinking much about a transformed physical bodily resurrection. For this reason, many don't understand how they can be instantly with God at death and yet be resurrected in the future. Understanding we are spirits and we will have a resurrected body more easily explains this. There are also those throughout history that believed in s that some kings or special groups of people who were resurrected to life would come back in bodies, physical bodies. But for the most part, hardly no one sees eternity in a bodily form. So to hear a message of resurrection in a glorified body is radically different during the early days of the church and, to be honest, among many religions today. Second, they thought that their leader died and was the first to be resurrected from the dead in a bodily form. Jesus said that a spirit is not flesh or bone. He even ate with them, didn't he? So they were teaching a risen leader I find this interesting because of what I just talked about in the first point. Many could say someone died and their spirit lived on, but no one had touched a glorified body with flesh and bone like Thomas did. No one had interacted with a spirit that looks and felt so human like the witnesses on the 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. The 500 that saw him carried away, coming back and talking to them and sharing about the kingdom of God with them. Wow, a really dead man, really alive with them in flesh and bones. We can see this in Jesus' own words in Luke 24, 36 through 43. He was here with flesh and bones. The third reason the early church teachings were radically different for this world is that they were claiming that the spirit of their leader, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, Christ was coming into their spirit and bringing them into a new life, a new mindset, a born again or born from above or born of God spirit. They claimed to be filled with the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus to life. So listen, friend, truthfully, we are part of an amazing citizenship and are ambassadors of an almost unbelievable message of good news, actually beyond belief for some. So what is this great, unbelievable news and how has it changed us? Well, let's look again at what I read earlier. Paul first tells them to not be taken captive through any other philosophy based on human tradition or elemental forces of the world, but rather a philosophy based on Christ. He says that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Here we can see his emphasis on the fact that Jesus is in a glorified body. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells in him, 
And he says, you have been filled by him. This is a reminder that is this nature of God dwelling in Christ that dwells in us. This would be through the Holy Spirit, based on other scriptures we have explored in these podcasts. Paul goes on to clarify that the change did not come from an old covenant, but from the Abrahamic covenant. This is important, especially when talking to the Jews. Everywhere Paul went, he was speaking to Gentiles and some Jews, but as the Jewish people were mixing with them and teaching, some were out to get the Gentiles to follow regulations of the Old Covenant, including circumcision, which actually began with Abraham many years before Moses and the law. He reminds us that our circumcision is in him, not a physical one. By the removal of flesh, it is a spiritual, putting aside our carnal nature and what can be called our Adamic nature or fleshly nature. This nature came from the fall of Adam where we all died in Adam through his transgression of God's commandment. You know the story. So let me read a few verses I just rolled over with you again. He said, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by Him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in Him, with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of the Messiah. Well, did you notice that he says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, is in present tense, Christ had died on the cross and now he's speaking to him as if he is alive in a bodily form because he is glorified in a glorified body. Okay, so then he says that we were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith. See, you and I, actually all the world, died in Adam. And here we are reminded that we also died in Christ, baptized into his death. We use water baptism to symbolize this. And according to my understanding of the New Testament, it's a symbol of this life that we have, this new life. So Paul says here, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Hallelujah. When we were baptized in Christ, this is called being born again. We are baptized into the death of Jesus with him on the cross. This is not water baptism here. Being baptized in the death of Christ is a spiritual act and a spiritual change. I wonder sometimes if this isn't what is meant by being baptized in Jesus' name. They would be baptized in water, but represented their baptism into his death. We are instructed by Jesus to baptize in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, he doesn't say water, but we understand it, that go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is also representative of being baptized into the death of Christ and being raised in him. It was the Father who loved the world through the Son and the Son by the Holy Spirit. Some make doctrinal distinctions in whether to be baptized in the name of Jesus or the name of the Trinity. Let's be clear, according to the Scriptures, 
These three are one and do not distinguish themselves as having separate authority. They are united. They are one. So whether in the name of Jesus or in the name, notice it doesn't say names of, but in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is the same God. When Peter said to the bap- those that were baptized to be baptized, he said, baptized in the name of Jesus. And even Paul referenced it. It was clearly to distinguish from the other names that people were being baptized in, namely John the Baptist. However, there's no jealousy within the Godhead. I believe everyone witnessing a born-again believer being baptized knows whether they use the name of the Godhead or of Jesus solely. Everything is done in the name of Jesus, isn't it? So let's move past these debates that keep us from coming together in doctrines such as baptism. It would be better if we understood what it symbolized. We're acknowledging our baptism in the, in the death of Jesus and our resurrection through him. This is how we are redefining Christ. Everything is in him. And this revelation will change us. Here again, I'm reminded to, let's see, it's been 15 podcasts. And I keep reminding us of the same things that we were forgiven of all of our trespasses when Jesus died as the ultimate sacrifice. So let me say it again. We were all forgiven of our trespasses. All our trespasses when Jesus died as the ultimate sacrifice. Paul explains this as a re- the result of the law. You see, the law was given and trespasses came into being. Where there is a law, there is a trespass or breaking of that law. Where there is no law, there is no trespass. These are the words of Paul in Romans. I've, I've, I've said, I'm just quoting them here because I've memorized them because it's, it's in several podcasts that I've, I've shared in the past. So you can look that scripture up. I think it might be in chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, somewhere around there in Romans. So when Jesus did away with the law, he did away with the ability to trespass that law. And this, my friend, set us free from the law. In this passage of scripture, when you read what we're, we're talking about here, this is what he's speaking about, the law. That's the law of Moses. If you read the whole section, he makes it clear that he is speaking about teachings of regulations and philosophies that tell us what to do and not to do. These are all based on performance of a person, good or bad. Did you hear me? They're based on the performance of a person, good or bad. You see, my friend, you're not saved based on performance. Not on work, not on merit, and not on keeping a rule. Oh, we say that we know we are saved by grace and faith, but I challenge you to look at your behaviors. Are you trying to stay saved by some guideline or by the guiding of God's Spirit? If you are behaving any certain way for any cause other than the love of God working in you, then you may be trying to modify behavior to look more Christ-like. But this isn't the same as surrendering to Christ in you. Many frustrate God's grace by trying to live right. Rather than letting Christ live in them. Or even greater than living in Christ. Let's look again at what Paul said concerning our debt. You see Jesus died as a ransom. He paid the price. We were indebted to sin by the law. You understand that? We were indebted to sin by the law, but he freed us from our debt. Remember, sin has a wage. 
for the wages of sin is what? Death. Jesus paid the price, and therefore we have been set free from sin and its debt. We should have to pay, have paid that price for our sins, but he was the substitute sacrifice. He took our place, and he took away our debt. Now we owe nothing for our sin, and we stand justified before God, not because of our abilities, but because of our inabilities. Not because of our doing, but because of His doing, and not because of our righteousness, but because of His righteousness. Paul said, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. God triumphs by Christ. God did something no one else could do. He sent his son to die. Jesus became sin. Did you know Jesus knew God in such a way? He introduced him to us as father. He called him father. But when he became sin for us on the cross, and God turned away in disgrace, things changed for the man that was hanging there on the cross. If I could only draw the picture of God who hates sin, who abhors evil, who was pleased to bruise his son, who had to let his son not only suffer your sins and your sicknesses and die, he even had to die a cruel death. But he was a God who chose to take out all of his wrath concerning the sin of the world, the transgress, and the barrier it had created between God and man. God took all of his wrath, all of it, out on his Son. Jesus not only took on our sins, he became our substitute sin sacrifice. He became sin. He became cursed on that cross. And when God turned his back on this sin in which God cannot participate, the man hanging on the cross did not call him father. He, for a brief moment, hanging there as sin, could not know him as father. And we hear the Son of Man, Jesus, crying out these words for the first time in his life from the cross. My God. My God, separated and alone to know what it was to be lost in the darkness, to be sin for all of us. My God, why have you forsaken me? And there in that death, all of us died with him. He took everyone. He took everyone to his death on the cross and took us into spirit spiritually into his death everyone in Adam we all died to eternal life and in Christ we all died to the curse of death that had been hanging over us since Adam the law of Moses was annulled declared invalid because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice and Adam's transgression also died with Christ on the cross and with it the curse of death Wow. The cross of Christ changed everything for everyone. 
And how dare any of us to claim it was anything less? Anyone who does not accept Christ and what he did for them will find themselves deceived in darkness and suffering eternal damnation. Why? Because they have chosen to walk in the lie and not the only truth that's found only in Jesus. This is what happened. We all died with him. And not only that, but we all are resurrected in him. Many don't understand this, but the Bible teaches all humans will be resurrected from the dead, both the just and the unjust. Those of us who believe that we have been crucified with Christ and justified by Him and have been resurrected with Him to new life will live in a new mindset with the leadership of the Holy Spirit in us partaking of the divine nature of God. We are free from both sin and death. This happens in our spirits. But our bodies will die because the curse of death will be transformed because of the curse of death and we will be transformed in the end. Sorry, I'm going to have to take a little break here. <laughs> wow. Incredible. <laughs> Folks, I'm just speaking the truth today. This is the Spirit of God. He wants us to understand. He has freed us from our sin. Our bodies will die because of the curse of death that's on the body. But because of Jesus taking us to resurrection in Him, at the end, we will have a transformed body. So we struggle in the battle with the human nature in us, which is still enslaved to death. But we, through Christ, are subdued in the flesh. And not only, and not allow the sin to be bred or born in our lives. We are free if we just allow God to do His work in us. Through His grace and our faith to believe it. To trust it is true. Paul warns them, continuing in Colossians 2, he says, If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? His example of still belonging to the world was to practice certain ideas, performing certain deeds and following certain rules. What's wrong with this? Well, when our minds get focused on performance, we miss that it's through grace we are saved. Many who say we don't work for salvation often spend many years trying to do the right things to secure their salvation. Does this sound familiar? We have to always remember, when we begin to think that God's grace is not enough for our salvation, then we have limited the work of the cross. There's nothing you can do to be more saved but we are often plagued in our churches with ideologies and sermons and in songs that tell us differently. I know it's innocent. And it's often poor understanding of teaching on our part. And I hope nobody gets offended. I've taught and sang against what I'm feeling and thinking now. You're probably wondering of an example. But, well, what would we be singing or saying that makes it seem that we can get more saved by our actions? Can you think of one? How do we get closer to the Lord? The only way I know of is to experience more of His love. Faith works through love. As we have a relation, sorry, as we have a revelation of God's love in us, we are tapping into the power to trust God more and more. If we think that more prayer, more study, and more meditation brings us closer to God, it can only be accomplished through a revelation of God's love in us. It all begins and ends with God's love. Jesus was God's expression of love on this earth, bringing Him glory. 
Now it's His Holy Spirit in us, expressing that love to the world, bringing the glory to God. Our loving God more is not as important as realizing His love for us more and more. Did you hear that? Our loving God more is not as important as realizing His love for us more and more. I hope you can see how our philosophies sometimes cause us to write songs or preach sermons about self-improvement more than how to submit to the Spirit of God in us. We should all be more forgiving, more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, more free. I know a lot of Christians who love God, who praise God, and who even demonstrate God's power through miracles. I'm one of them. What really matters is a revelation of who we are in Him. It's about how much He loves us. It's about how much we glorify Him through His Spirit on the earth. And it's about how many miracles happen to be a sign of the gospel in our lives. It's about making the blind to see spiritually, opening the ears of the spiritually dead. It's about helping the lame to walk in the Spirit. Sure, there are miracles. There are natural signs. But there's something greater. The spiritual things that they're pointing to. My doing is my undoing. My trying is often my failing. I just want to be transparent and have an honest discussion with you. I know it's one-sided because you can't answer me. <laughs> but I'm trying to be honest with this because sometimes we, we, we fight against the very things we preach. There's no reason for any Christian to limit God's grace and His work on the cross. It was enough for all of us. If I'm not free from sin, if I was not liberated by Christ from sin and death, if I don't have a revelation of God's unlimited grace, and if I don't trust God or believe Jesus is who He said He is and did what He said He did, then I am a Christian by title, but I will not find the power of the resurrection in my life. Unbelief will find it easier to to arise in me, and I will see myself as a sinner and be lost in the darkness. I just won't surrender to anything but God's Spirit. I believe there are many scriptures that tell me that Jesus not only set me free from sin and death, but has given the message to share with others. Be reconciled to God, who sent His Son to die for us, not counting our sins against us so that we, would, so that we could live eternally. Accept, believe, receive this eternal life. Be born again. Put on the mind of Christ. Don't look back. Don't listen to the lies of the flesh and its carnal thinking, but be godly. Live in the attitude of freedom and life by the perfect law of the spirit of liberty and new covenant with Christ in Him. Do this by surrendering your will to God's will. It's a matter of trust. We are saved by grace and by our faith in it. Putting our trust in the love of God at work in our eyes is how we grow spiritually. You hear me? Putting our trust in the love of God and things He's doing in our eyes when we see these things, this is how we will grow spiritually. Let Christ redefine you, not your titles, your affiliations, or your performances. Don't let the world define you. Live in His love. Define. Let His love define you. Live in it. And you will find yourself growing in faith. Because faith works. And I've said it in every podcast. Through love. 
God is not angry with you. I've got to cover this. You know, this is a recap of all my podcasts. So if you missed any of them, this kind of brings it home. God is not angry with you. You can't anger him. You can't do anything bad or good to change his position with you. Listen, you're not in control of God. <laughs> it was all done on the cross when Jesus said, It is finished. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And as one of my friends, I like to call a friend, uh, a great preacher, and because he knows me by the name, we haven't seen each other for years, but hey, we're friends. He says it this way. He says, Jesus closed the book on sin. You have been justified. You are his righteousness. You're made perfect in him. The question is, do you believe it? You may be basing your beliefs on your behaviors. Consider you're basing your belief in what he did for you. And know that even when you are weak, he's made strong. How? Because his grace is sufficient for you. Can you fall away from grace? Well, yeah. Can you choose not to believe or walk in unbelief? Yes, you can. You can walk in darkness and a lie and deception and you can die in fear. You'll be judged by what happened on the cross. And if you don't believe it and let it change you, you will be resurrected to eternal judgment and the verdict will be damnation. You will end up in a lake of fire with death, hell, and the grave, the Antichrist, and all the fallen angels. And the beast, I think, too. That's the other part of the truth that I believe that is taught in the scriptures the way I understand it. It is our unbelief that will be our undoing. It's not based on your performance. It's based on your faith. You can do with that what you want. It's not easy for a born again believer to fall into unbelief. It will mean rejecting the truth. But I believe it does happen to some. I wonder if it often, if it is often because the church's version of Christianity often allow for the belief that sin and death still have a place in our lives. Often limiting grace by basing sin on behavior can cause one to be miserable. Trying to live a life that's impossible to live. However, teaching unlimited grace without considering the consequences of missing the mark, that's not realizing the judgment, it also comes through the death and resurrection of Christ. can be misleading. It can cause one to exercise freedoms of their own flesh, deceived and not acting in the love of God, but listening to their carnal minds. Thinking that behavior or behaving better saves us is what Paul called falling from grace. <laughs> and to ignore the role of faith in our salvation can cause one to believe in Jesus, but not let Christ live in them. Hmm. We can easily find ourselves struggling with, struggling with our beliefs when we listen to all the voices. Listen. Listen to Christ in you. This is your hope of glory. The message of the gospel is unbelievably great. But the penalty of unbelief is death. I don't want to end negative on such a great podcast, but I keep wanting to mention this, so I'm going to throw it out there for you to chew on. You know Judas, the disciple, the follower of Christ, the one that carried the money bag? Remember him? If it were me or you, we would have probably turned that money bag um, over to, the, to another disciple, knowing he was stealing and he was a thief. 
And obviously, Jesus, knowing he was greedy, as he wanted Mary not to use the precious oil on Jesus' feet, that Judas, that horrible person, that betrayer, I'm not sure if you saw this in the scriptures, but Judas was one of the twelve that received the power to heal the sick and was doing miracles by the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Knowing one day that this man would bring the soldiers to take him in the most dreadful place of agony. And it was this Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus looked upon, seeing the soldiers with him and said, Friend, why have you come? You see, it's not Judas or his performance. It wasn't about him at all. It was and always will be about our Jesus. And who he is and what he has done on our behalf. He freed this world from sin. You only have to believe he will do the rest through his spirit in you. Being redefined in Christ for me is allowing God's love to rule my decisions. And it's not easy. But the more I learn to allow forgiveness to do its work in all of my relationships, the more I have seen the door open to be a witness for the kingdom. I want to tell people about the amazing freedom that forgiveness brings into our lives. When we allow God's Spirit to work through us, it will change us. We will have a better attitude. We will be more prepared to face difficulty because we feel God's peace at work. Our fears begin to subside because love becomes stronger than the fear of death in us. We see others as victims of darkness rather than our personal enemies. Our goals, our ambitions, our dreams all begin to bend toward our divinity. Our revelation of being a son of God through Jesus Christ and not through our own ability becomes clearer and our humility begins to reign over the pride in us. Does it sound too good to be true? It's better than any truth our logical minds can comprehend. We are spiritual creatures, living spirits contained in this dying flesh. We must keep it from taking us down with it. If our body is saved because of our living spirit's leadership and guidance from the Holy Spirit, then we will see it risen and glorified one day. We are not only redeemed, we are reconciled to God. And we have been, recon- we have been resurrected from the dead. This is our re-identification. So friend, be redefined in Christ. And if you hang with me next week, we'll be talking about being the light of the world. I think it's a great follow-up. And remember, faith works through love. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure to tell your friends that they can find it on most major distributions. Just search Tim Atterbury or the title Redefined in Christ. You can learn more about Tim, his mission work in Honduras, and transcripts of these podcasts at www.timatterbury.website. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, faith works through love.